Welcome to the Music Business Podcast with me, Steve Spotlight, where we give you tips, advice, strategies, how-tos with some very key interviews with music business professionals, other artists, managers, agents, name it, where they share their insights, knowledge on being successful in today's ever-changing music industry so you can have an actionable roadmap on achieving your dreams and being successful, learn so that you can earn. Welcome to the Music Business Success Podcast. My name is Steve Spotlight, and I'm with Amy Orefo, um, a top entertainment lawyer, um, lives in the States, and we're going to be going through a couple of different issues, problems, and hopefully solutions on um, within the industry that you as an artist can take action on, and you can hear from um, a practitioner um, of many years and very skilled in a, in a craft, and you would have to pay a lot of money to actually take a time. So this is a very privileged opportunity <laughs> that you guys are in. So please, Amy, um, please uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Steve. We've been trying to meet up for like a while. I know you've been really, really busy, but I'm glad we're able to kind of nail you down. Although I know you have to run up in a little while, but we're going to try and get as much in as possible and try to give as much information to the audience out there. Okay. Awesome. Right. So, Amy, I mean, I will let you definitely introduce who you are, what you do, and for how many years you've been doing it. Okay. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Amy Arepo. I am um, an entertainment attorney based in Atlanta, Georgia, originally from Raleigh, North Carolina, but I am originally, originally um, Nigerian. Um, I am first-generation American. Both of my parents are Nigerian from the Igbo tribe. So I was... Um, raised fully as a Nigerian in America. So it's just, you know, especially what's going on um, within the continent, specifically yeah. in Nigeria throughout the continent, I've always been passionate about um, educating and empowering songwriters and content creators. So with that being said, I draft, review, negotiate various types of agreements from recording agreements, um, producer agreements, publishing agreements, endorsement, licensing, all the runs the gamut. I serve as general counsel for my clients to protect their intellectual property, um, helping them, you know, file the copyrights and trademarks and just, you know, being a business advisor in various business positions that they make within the entertainment industry and otherwise. Awesome. Great stuff. You see, wow. Um, that, that's a, you know what, you've just hit on a couple of key areas that I'm actually going to go right into. Mm-hmm. Right. First and foremost is bad contracts. Um, over the last couple of months, over the last couple of years, we've heard how so many different artists, um, Nigerian artists, African artists, or even international artists have all kind of been very disgruntled about the kind of contract they've signed. Um, what? How do you avoid a bad signing a bad contract? Or what? Do, what would you say that looks like for like a recording artist, for example? Okay. Um. That's an excellent question, Steve. And every, I'm going to give one of those classic lawyer answers. It depends, right? Because it's on a case-by-case scenario. So one artist could be offered, um, I'll use one of the major labels, a contract from a major label, um, Interscope, you know, um, Epic, Atlantic, I'm just mentioning some um, late example. And no two contracts are the same. You know, the advance may look different. What the... Um, company may want the recording um company may want may be different so it's hard to say without reviewing it that's why it is imperative when someone gets a publishing agreement when they get a recording agreement when they get any kind of licensing agreement when there's some deal placed in front of them to retain an attorney a lot of people think oh i can do it myself 
Um, generally speaking, you do you can do it yourself, and in some cases, it comes back to bite people mm. um, because you know you have to trust people's expertise. Okay. Uh, attorneys have seen various agreements; they can, at the very least, advise, even if you want to go in and advocate for yourself um, on as a, as a content creator, or a songwriter, or an artist. But have an attorney review it because there are a lot of nuances, legal language in there. So I often tell people, they're like, when do I need an entertainment attorney? Um, it's good to continue to build relationships with one, but when there's a deal in front of you, you absolutely need to retain an entertainment attorney. Oh, okay. Great stuff. All right. Um, I think you've definitely said some very key points there because every different agreement is every agreement is different. And um, I think a lot of people think, okay, what's, I think all, the next question I think I should ask is, what clauses within a recording agreement and should an artist look out for or should they take notice of? Because um, I think, like you like you've said, if, or from my understanding, if you don't understand what it is that you're signing, you yeah. can't, and you go ahead and sign it anyways, you cannot hold the party that's made you sign it responsible for your non-knowledge of what you're absolutely. saying. Absolutely. That's absolutely correct, Steve. Yeah, because once someone signs it, and in the United States, once they're age 18, they're considered to be an adult, which means that a contract is binding. And unless um, they signed it under duress, meaning like somebody physically forced them or, you know, uh, threaten them to sign it, which um, generally doesn't happen. People may feel pressure, but it's not, you know, somebody actually threatening them to sign it, then that contract, then all the terms will be enforceable. So back to your question where you're um, asking what sort of terms, yeah. all of it's important, definitely, but you want to look inside of a contract for a few key things. Okay. The term contract, meaning how long are you bound to act under the contract? It may look different. It may say three years, for ease of example, it may say three years, or it may say four albums, right? Okay. Those can be two very different things, because albums used to come out, generally speaking, um, maybe once a year. You know, cycles are very different now, the way music is distributed. Okay. But now, four albums can mean somebody's in a contract for seven years. Like, it just, it really depends. So that's why it's important to negotiate um, you know, how long that term is and then termination, how you get in a contract is term and how you get out termination, okay. knowing the types of things and actions that trigger a termination on either side. Okay. Um, and then uh, publishing is huge. Publishing is, as you will hear, copyright is king. The way the money is truly made in this music industry is music publishing. You do not want to give up your music publishing. And that's usually what, um, you know, some record companies and other folks want you to give up publishing. Um, but masters, that's usually a trade-off in signing a recording agreement. They're giving you an advance. They're giving you a platform. They're giving you a marketing budget. This money is not free. They want some, they want you no, to trade it off. Really? Yes. Yeah, so it's not free. So you're, what you're trading off are your masters and you know uh, percentages of various revenue streams. So that's why I say going into um, signing a major label contract or publishing, it's a case-by-case -case scenario because it may not make sense to some people um, where they are in their career, but it may make a lot of sense for others. So it's definitely a case-by-case -case scenario. So term, obviously how much somebody's getting paid, compensation is important, um, it, you know, meaning it'll speak to the advance, what the royalties look like, um, what the publishing looks like, and then obviously a lot of other contracts, but what those splits look like is the recording, um, it's the uh, major label participating in what's called ancillary income, meaning are what they- is, What is that, ancillary yeah, income? 
ancillary income. Yes, it means everything outside of, because as you know, recording agreements used to just be music, right? And why that changed within the last decade or so. What we hear- right now. It's a music setting. Absolutely. It's 360 contracts where people often hear where the major labels and other companies, production companies who help usher talent to a major label or in make introductions now want to participate in what's called ancillary income. It means everything outside of, you know, income earned outside of music. So that's touring, merchandise, publishing, um, fan uh, clubs, appearances, all of this. So they now want a percentage of that. So often looking to see if those major labels and third parties want to collect ancillary income, that's huge. You want to make sure that um, you're agreeable to that if they are, and if not, then you bring it up. Okay, okay, awesome. Right, um, I've, I've known this from past, past experiences. Uh, you've mentioned, obviously, in regards to publishing agreements and record contracts. What yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize is, uh, I would like you to kind of, Differentiate the two, because when you're given a contract by by a record label, does that also mean you sign up for your publishing as well? That is that is an excellent question, Steve. Um, once again, I'm laughing because it means it depends. Um, so depending on the type of agreement you have, generally a recording agreement is just a recording agreement. However, the way a lot of people are entering into relationships with major labels, they've been introduced by a party or a, a independent, an independent record label, also known as what's called a production agreement, they will introduce them to an A&R Epic or an A&R Interscope who would then, they will be able to sign a deal. That production company that's serving as the middleman um, would then want a percentage of everything because what they're, what they're gonna say is they're introducing you to a major label, but for the introduction, you would not have a platform. So okay. that's what publishing company nine times out of 10 is going to want rights to some of your publishing. So the, the major record label may not want rights to your publishing, but the company who introduced you to the label, generally speaking, they want to participate in all that income. So yes, so this is one of those, it depends answers. Generally speaking, a production company or an independent record label that introduces an artist to a major record label is absolutely going to want to participate in all things like merchandise, publishing, fan appearances, all those things I mentioned in a 360 agreement. Okay, awesome, awesome. So really, you should really be looking at not just a, if they're going to take part of your publishing, they, then yeah. they should actually also give you a publishing agreement, shouldn't they, really? Absolutely, and that's within the, um, in most of these what's called production agreements for the independent label. We're talking about the smaller label that may make yeah. an introduction to the major label. They do have a publishing agreement or a language within that agreement. And those agreements, just for ease of example, again, it could vary with pages, but a production agreement could be anywhere from 15 to 25 pages or longer or shorter, whatever the case may be, but it addresses all of that. Touring, publishing, merchandise, all the revenue streams that that it company- be broken, It should be broken down really, surely. Absolutely, it will be broken down the agreement, absolutely. Okay, awesome, right, so the copyright, and trademarking. What is the difference between both and how can you get both done with a lawyer? And let's say, I mean, you have independent artists and an artist just kind of come up and like, just says, I'm up and coming. I really don't have no money. How can I go ahead and copyright or trademark anything? How, what is the difference between copywriting your material and trademarking your material? And how does that protect you? Absolutely. So a copyright, and I'm just going to give the U.S. example because, yes. you know, I practice here in the States. So, so with the United States, there's the U.S. Copyright Office, and that website is www.copyright.gov, and that's okay. www.copy, 
R-I-G-H-T dot G-O-V. So I tell content creators, go there, learn how to copyright. So what a copyright is, is a tangible expression of an idea. What does that mean? It means when somebody writes a poem, when they write um, a song, they write lyrics, they write, um, you know, a, a play, you know, they, they write anything. a screenplay, anything. They're actually putting it pen to paper, a tangible, mm. it gets out of their head and they're writing it. It's not it just down. in your head anymore. You exactly. have to record it on the Absolutely. Okay. Other, you have to document it. So something, a lot of thoughts live in our head, right? We have a lot of content, yeah. but we have to put it, as I call it, pen to paper. And now you go to protect that to say, okay, listen, this is something I'm getting out of my head to create it's tangible now. Now I want to use it to create something. So in this instance, we're using lyrics. When a songwriter writes a song, those are lyrics that you copyright. And then there's um, a second form of copyright called the sound recording. Once it's in its final state, meaning the masters, right? Usually that is um, owned by, if somebody's self-published and they're an independent record label, they will keep and hold their own masters, which is the most powerful. Yep, absolutely. That's the most powerful position to have to own your own masters. However, the trade-off in a major label is they want your masters. So back to the example of Interscope or Epic signing an artist, obviously their trade-off is they want the masters to the song, so then they will go foul. Exactly. So that's it. So that's a copyright. So think about song lyrics, any song that's created. Now a trademark is what's called a source identifier, how you brand yourself or your company, the name of your publishing company, the name of your production company, your artist name, your stage name. You would trademark that because it's basically protecting the name of your brand, how you want to be identified in commerce to others. And in, in the United States, it's the United States Patent and Trademark Office. And then that website is www.uspto.gov. So um, awesome. to go and protect that. But oftentimes I tell people not that trademarks are impossible to do, but they get a little more um, complex or convoluted. So I often tell people, definitely retain an attorney to make sure it's done in the correct way because, you know, someone such as myself, I've done um, several, countless um, trademark applications. So you become familiar. You have to talk to what's called the examining attorneys with the government. And we know how to, you know, help rectify any mis mm. any um, issues that may arise in the application where if someone's doing it themselves. They may do it, but they may stumble upon some things just because they, they haven't done it before. But a copyright is usually more e um, user-friendly. And I tell people to get, and my clients often, I encourage them to get into the practice of, you know, doing that themselves okay. and they, they can learn to do, you know, file the copyrights because they generally see the processes. Absolutely. Absolutely. They'll be filing a copyright more often. They'll be filing a trademark because if someone creates songs consistently, you want to copyright and protect those songs. Okay. So you copyright your song, but you trademark your name or you copyright, Absolutely. you copyright, you, once you put down the idea, you can copyright that, but you, you can trademark how like a system, a name, a brand, it's much like a brand, so to speak. Yep. Just so think about the brand. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So, right. How long does it take? I mean, from what I understand, how long does it take? So, let's say I'm an artist, for example. I want to cop trademarks. I would be trademarking my name, right? How long would it normally take to trademark, let's say, my name? And mm -hmm. how much would that cost? I mean, just like, what, what is the rough uh, period and how much would that kind of cost? So, I want to know. Anytime anybody uses Steve Spotlight on anything, which I think I might just do, actually. Um, <laughs> you know yes so if you want to um to trademark i tell people often get that done because the united states it could take anywhere from you know 
nine to 12 months from the time wow. you file it to registration. Nine to 12 months. Absolutely. And sometimes a little shorter, but it's going to take the, the searches, isn't it? That's a lot of searches, right? A lot of searches. And then also the actual filing period, because it's a good problem to have. But the United States is so inundated with applications of people creating such amazing names and brands that they're protecting it, that you think about they're getting, I can't tell you how many thousands upon thousands of applications they're getting per year. And think about it. They don't have as many employees uh, um, working on the applications that they have applications coming in so it takes quite a bit of time so i tell people if there's a brand name or name you're putting out in commerce and you're using go ahead and protect it sooner rather than later because you run the risk of when you're using it and it's not protected at a federal level that other people can come behind you and come and fringe um, and use it so you want to show unequivocally that you've been using what's called common law but then you want to protect it with the federal law that's in place by going to the um, trademark and copyright office Excuse me, trademark and patent office. Okay, okay. So if, let's say, like I live in the UK, I'm between the UK and Nigeria, Mm -hmm. can I go onto any of this website, which obviously is US-based, and also copyright and trademark, um, whatever it is that I require in those those, um, different territories, and would it still apply internationally? Excellent question. You would have to... In general, for U.S. Um, laws, you would have to show what's called residence and that you're actually doing commerce in the United States. You, you, one cannot just protect, I mean, try to protect in various countries if there's actually no presence or actually no sale or, you know, they're not what, what I call, you know, um, rendering commerce. Okay. Um, conducting business. So just because somebody may be like, oh, I want to protect this United States. But if you're not using the United States, then no, you can't protect it. And you need to show that it's more than a one-off, that you consistently do business in, in that respective country. So okay. what's... You are not as putting up music on Spotify, which is streaming everywhere, for example. Exactly. So that's everywhere. Just because of that doesn't mean, oh, I could file a copy, I mean, a trademark in the United States. You have to actually show like you tour in the United States frequently, then you come and you might have an office space. There's some kind of presence that you come and a, you know, a frequent basis. A frequent could be quarterly, it could be whatever, but it just means that you have to show presence more than like you said, your music streaming. So you should go to your respective um, copyright and trademark offices in a respective country to follow their you know, applicable laws or rules and file it. And then you ask how somebody wants to protect something internationally. There's something called um, the Madrid Protocol Madrid. Uh, for, yep, Madrid Protocol. And um, that is a system where if someone protects a files um, an intellectual property through the copyright, trademark, or patent office, then that, those laws will be respected in the various countries that are listed oh. on the Madrid, Pro, Madrid Protocol. If it's not listed there, those laws will not be honored. And once again, just because they're listed, you then have to go file in the respective countries, which means that can get a little costly if oh, you can. Okay. So if you're trying to protect in ten countries, you then have to go file trademarks in ten. In every single country, right? Exactly. For for example, obviously, how much would it like would it cost to do like a trademark? Very trademark. And this is exclusive of um, attorney's fees. I often tell people. Yeah, um, of so course. This just, yeah, this is just the, the fee for um, the actual. Um, to file, it's called a class. Yep, it's called a class of goods and services in the United States. It's two hundred seventy-five dollars per class of goods for the filing fee. When someone files, what's called a T's reduced fee, and that's T E A S. It just means that they're filing online and they get the right to craft their own description and go in there. So that's usually the trademark that a lot of people use to file um, for filing fees in the United States. Okay. And then the copyright 
is um, for one submission, a single submission is $35. And when someone wants to file a um, compilation, it's $55 for what's called a bundle. And those are once again the filing fees for oh. the respective. Oh, $55. That's okay. Oh, so how many, how many can you do in a bundle? You should have copyright. In a bundle, I often give people an example. Somebody writes um, 30 songs and they're the only author. It's based on authorship. So if you write uh, um, songs by yourself, Steve, you could file all 30 and they're going on an album. They have some kind of theme to make them fit together. 30 yep. songs just written by you that are about, let me give an example, about um, summertime weather. I'm just giving it for, for either example. Then you could put that on the bundle because they had something to do with each other. It was a complete album. Um, it was, in a, once again, a tangible expression of how you were making summertime songs and you were the only author. You could file all 30 of those in one copyright application. Okay, so what would happen if I had other features or people on, on, the, on the album with me? Excellent question. Generally speaking, when there's um, a different author, um, short of there, like if you can find in a compilation that it has some kind of... Um, parallel or symbolism or or there was something similar about it you could put in an album but generally speaking for ease when there's a different author just file like you are on there and then another author would be the other artists were featured on there mm -hmm. file that one separately because oh, it's of doing it as a bundle just filing exactly. yep. if you do all those separately because yeah because they're different authors technically on there so different people have different theories on how to file it but for ease of example if you're the only um author on it and it's a bundle and it goes on the album that's easier and then let's say you have a couple of features you file all five of those separately just to keep it simple so, it easy, yeah exactly. I think, yeah i i see what you're saying i think it should be easy if, if you're an artist that you did like an ep a five six track ep exactly. that just, just features you and you want to do everything in a bundle Absolutely. You know, just for complexity purposes just do it as an individual kind of tracks awesome. right this other question this last question based on copyright it's, I've heard it been said by a bunch of people that once you document anything, I put it down on paper, I record a track on, it's on my computer, obviously I have the digital um, stamp on it, that automatically that material or that content is, copy, is it, it's copyrighted, the right word? Yep, copyrighted, yep. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Now for me, just documenting or putting it down, obviously I have to prove that I did it before anyone else and so on and so forth. How true is that to the fact? Excellent question. People um, hear that a lot and it's referred to as, I'm quoting, the um, poor man's copyright, where people will say that's a phrase they often use here in the States. Um, but no, that is, okay, there's truth to it. Once someone actually puts, as I call it, pen to paper, tangible words and thoughts down, yes, a copyright, they are the copyright owner and they own that work. However, if you want to go and protect it even further, that's called a common law copyright. You okay. also want the protection of the laws behind you because I like to tell people, they put these laws in place to protect you as a content creator. Go and file it with the respective in, um, entity. So go to the United States Copyright Office and then take an added um, measure to protect it because guess what's going to happen if someone's challenging you and say well i made this song but you're like i made the song it's time stamped on um whatever pro tools or whatever um yeah. system you're using and then you filed a, a copyright application who do you think the court's going to believe more definitely you know you found whoever follows it first because they took that measure they were responsible enough and you know took initiative of the system and process that was in place so generally what happens in the, the united states when someone um can show that there was 
copyright or trademark infringement and then they lost money, they get three times the damages. So if the court awards somebody $10,000, they walk away with $30,000. And that's only if they use the law and went and protected it at the federal level at the copyright office or the patent and trademark office. Awesome, awesome. It's some great nuggets you're dropping for people out here. <laughs> I appreciate that. Right, I'm going to go quickly into type of, types of agreement between artists and producers. Most of the time, I always kind of come across um, artists that don't have a clue what kind of agreement they, be, they should be signing with other artists and what kind of agreements they should be signing with producers once they're recording um, a piece of content. So when it comes to, okay, I'll, I'll give you a scenario. I'm an artist and I'm about to go and record um, a track with a producer and I'm going to feature a friend or another single on it. What kind of agreements, like what are the top three agreements of I should be having or I should always have present when I go ahead and record any material with a producer and another artist? Oh, excellent. First and foremost, a split sheet. <laughs> a split sheet. Yep. Whether it's digital, a split sheet. It's a show um, the ownership, the percentage of the copyright, who owns what part of the song, meaning the actual composition, who contributed what. And then you have a conversation between the producer and the artist, or plural, if there are multiple artists and multiple producers, about who owns what. So that is huge. And most people go and create a lot of music and they never talk about the splits. So the songs cannot be distributed because it's a liability to distributors to, you know, distribute a song and they don't know who owns it because they can get sued and they're not trying to do that. So it's very important. I tell people, if you don't have splits, then somebody cannot make money because the songs cannot properly be submitted. So a long split sheet, whether it's digital or whether it is um, a written agreement that, you know, an attorney put together for someone to use as a template. And then also a producer agreement is very important. Um, That will be presented to, um, you know, to the producer because um, from the artist to producer saying, okay, this is the advance. If there's an advance that they get, or if, um, and then the back end royalty, the producer royalty rate, that's very, very important. And then the point um, that producer gets, um, okay. So, okay. So could you break that down? Cause I think I had a, a situation where a couple of different guys have come to me and said, oh, I've given the producer X amount of money and mm-hmm. I, I own everything to do with the song and the material and so on and so forth. But I'm like, as the producer signed off on all their rights to the content and they've given you because, um, so they, they assume, a lot of people assume that because they pay the producer X, Y, the money, they own everything to do with the song. Is that mm-hmm. true? And what if they do want that, what should they be doing or what agreement should they be signing then? Excellent question. If they wanted all the rights to a song and the producer to not have any copyright interest, it would be a work for hire. Okay. And then it actually states uh, that in the agreement. Okay. Exactly. It's called a work for hire agreement. So what it will actually state in there is by giving the speed of, I'm just giving an example, $10,000 on the front end, you are relinquishing the right to any copyright ownership, any royalties, any kind of ownership in this composition. Um, but that fee, you know, satisfies the only fee that that person, that producer would be getting paid. That's very, exactly. That's very clear in those agreements. Otherwise, if there's a producer agreement, generally it means that the producer is participating in back-end royalty income, meaning 
that they'll get generally in advance up front. And even if they don't, they get to participate in the royalties on the back end once every song is, you know, distributed via stream. So yeah, which is normally, which is normally broken down 50-50, isn't it? Um, it would, it, I can't, I can't answer that because it depends on how many people are involved in the song. So okay. it, it, and then it depends on the contribution, but generally speaking, yes. If you, if you're giving an example, if there's a one producer, one artist, one artist. Yeah, and they feel artists. like they contributed both. Yes, it will, it will be a 50, 50 split. But then sometimes the producer may say, I did a little more. I wrote the hook too. Right. Like, and then they'll say yeah. that. So, so then they would negotiate you know, how much of a percentage they own in the song. But that conversation has to occur. There's no way around it. So I tell artists, songwriters, producers, like, you all have to have the conversation. They, so, like, there's no way around it. So do they have that conversation after they've recorded? Before, like, okay, they're done with the song now. Like, okay, you've helped me and have that. So they should be having a split sheet available at a, a, a producer for hire or producer's agreement also literally um, ready to sign before they're like, okay, cool, go ahead and mix and master um, this material. They should really be having that discussion. Um, or, or even beforehand, I guess I, I guess that's something they could also do beforehand where you could tell a producer, okay, you know what, I'm going to pay you $10,000 or um, 100,000 Naira, for example, and mm -hmm. I want you to help me write a hook for this song, but I'm just going to pay you 100,000 Naira, you're going to do the production, mix and master, and help with lyrics, but you own nothing on off you. So you could also, as long as that's what you agree to, that and that is what they sign, that should also still be um, valid. I, I, a friend of mine asked me that question, and I'm like, listen, there's people at times I think get also very emotional in regards to agreements because mm -hmm. you you whatever you sign is what you're getting. There's at times. Mm -hmm. People think, is it morally right and is it legally right? They're two different things. Mm -hmm. If you sign off all your rights and you say you didn't know you were signing it off, exactly. but that's what you sign, then morality is a different thing when it comes to legality. Absolutely. Um, you know, so oh, no, also I think that, that's, a, that's a great point. So what if, oh, another point. You've, you're an artist, you've given a producer 6,000 pounds. Mm -hmm. I actually had this, a case like this. They gave a producer a chunk of money to produce a song and the producer went and produced the song and the artist was waiting for one month, two months, three months, four, five, six months and no song. Like literally after like waiting forever and they paid a large chunk of money to this producer. So what should they be doing in that case and how do they get the song and what actions should they take? I'm like, didn't you sign any agreements before? Didn't you have a time scale for when this should have been executed? And the person literally nearly went into depression because of it. What should they have done in that kind of situation? Absolutely. That's when it's important to have that producer agreement or work for hire, whichever scenario they were looking um, for at that time, meaning if they wanted the producer to just get their 6,000 pounds and then have nothing to do with back-end royalty participation or if they wanted the, um, the, the producer to participate back-end participation, it would either way, it would have it delivery. It would be a delivery. Exactly. So you shouldn't really have a delivery time frame within exactly. that agreement, shouldn't it? Absolutely. 1,000%. Because that avoids, because then if the person breaches that delivery, then it will be uh, another provision in that agreement that says in the event of a breach, this and this happens, right? Okay. They'll be they have to pay X amount of money or do things. So all of that is covered within the agreement. Okay. So then they can now take legal representation to try and either 
get the the work back and get some kind of compensation back. Um, yes. You can have an um, an artist that has a project they're trying to put out within the same time frame and everything is already in place, but they don't get the material, the content back. So they can't execute and that now affects their whole promotional timeline based mm-hmm. on not getting the material back. And they can literally hold that producer accountable for that if they've not kind of delivered. So yeah. if you hear any people, have your paperwork sorted. Know what it is that you're signing. Have your, kind of think of every single eventuality that could occur in regards to time frame. Um, if you recall that the producer tells you, okay, it's going to take me a month, two months to mix master and get it back to you. Put that in your agreement. Yeah. And kind of on this day, by this day, you're going to deliver. And when they sign on the line, I think also a lot of people don't realize that once you put a legal contract, in in somebody's um table once they sign it i think psychologically they also know that okay i've signed a document i am i'm possibly going to be held legally responsible for this so if i don't do this 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 could happen to me but if you don't sign anything then you could not turn to a i oh you said so but i said so but we kind of agreed but you know that we didn't really say a, a time frame black and white your agreement speculates and spells out exactly what you've agreed to and it says everybody the, the hassle and the trouble of um, going through that. Okay, from a producer's perspective, so um, can you, uh, when it comes to, okay, you're an artist, I've, you've done the track with the producer, you've given, he has points on the license. Uh, does it, so, I forget what the term is. When I want to, obviously, my track wants to be licensed for a movie or, or whatever it is, mm-hmm. where I don't have to go back to the, other artists that have featured on my song or the other producers that obviously produce it. But I mean, they'll still get points, but I don't have to go back to the, to them to get authorization to do placement. I, I don't know. Could you, how can an artist go about doing that? Cause obviously let's say I live in the UK, I've gone to Nigeria, I've produced a song with an artist or with a producer in the States or in Nigeria, whatever different territory. So, and I now have a company that wants to license that song on an advert. Normally, obviously I need to seek permission from everybody else involved in that creation process, how do I, what, what can I put in place to, to, to navigate around that so I don't have to always go and get that permission? Doesn't mean that they don't get their royalties on the back end. Well, what, what can I have them sign to make sure that can, it's a speedy process? Um, yes. So it will, it's all, once again, all that is within a producer yes. agreement. Okay. So, you put that okay. so it's called administration. Um, like, and even if it's sync licenses, approvals, like what yeah. is that? Like? There you go. So yeah. All that's covered. That's where our producer agreement could be, a, you know, a bit lengthy because it covers all those scenarios. Because generally speaking, when people are copyright owners of the song, everybody has to agree for the use of the song. So if they don't agree, then if one person doesn't agree, the song can't be used because they're all owners. It's like somebody owning a house, right? Like before you sell it, everybody has agreed to it. If one, even if one person, if four people own it and one person does not agree to it, then it can't be sold, right? So it's the same thing. So it's important to know who you're going into business with and to iron out those terms. So some people may say, listen, um, for various reasons and practices and branding in our life, lives, whether there be a conflict or something, they're like, if our song is licensed as a sync license for this kind of ad or this kind of brand, I cannot and do not yes. want to participate in it okay. because it may be a breach of a contract or something yeah. else I'm doing, or it may not believe in it on um, personal moral beliefs, but it's important to iron all, iron through all of that in the beginning because that could stop a song from being licensed or used. 
Okay. So if I want to avoid that, then they have to kind of give me the permission to be able to um, place the song without. Yeah, you mentioned you said you said the word just now. Where um, it, so the license. Yeah, administration of the song. Yep. Like who's going to be the administrator and then the types of um, licenses you accept and approval rights. It's basically called approval rights. Like who is like what, like that somebody will not withhold approval rights without, you know, reasonable cause. Cause, okay. For, okay. Awesome. That, that, that is, that, that is real. That is some key stones right there. Right. Also, um, publishing agreements. Um, the three, could you briefly just tell me, I know we've, we've caught for the short for time. Can you tell me the different type of publishing agreements that are available to an artist? Um, yes, yes, yes. So, so there are, um, co-publishing agreements and then administration agreements. So okay. co-publishing agreements mean that a publisher is going, someone signing into a publisher and they're saying, as a result of you signing with me and me exploiting me and the publisher, exploiting your songs, helping to distribute your songs, get your songs placed, get co-write opportunities and collaborations, I own a part of your publishing for X amount of time. It could be, you know, five years, three years, and then they get to exploit it and they solely would um, have an exclusive right to service your publisher for that term. And then administration, happens usually um generally it, it depends on the type of relationship it's usually a more established artist that has leverage that can say listen i have you know a catalog that will make money back for you because at the end of the day people are in business to you know recoup and generate revenue and make money so if a bigger artist comes um then companies are willing to sign an administration agreement which means they do not own publishing they literally get a service fee for distributing exploiting and um you know pitching these songs on behalf of the artist so that will be an administration agreement no ownership of the copyright or publishing but they do get you know a fee a percentage a commission for pitching these songs putting these you know um songwriters in the co-write and collaboration opportunities um various opportunities in the industry also so literally your, your publisher really should be doing everything that it can to help you exploit your song to try and get placement and so on and so forth. Um, I think I've seen certain situations where um, certain artists have come through and they're like, yeah, I've signed with a publisher, but I'm like, okay, what is happening? Like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just signed. I'm like, so, but they're not doing nothing. They're just holding on to your catalog, hoping that it blows up. And then, <laughs> but they should actively really try to help you get your material placed and places that you can't get it to. Cause that's why you're giving them you know, a certain percentage of, of the, of, of, of your material for them to own yes. it. Yes. But what artists, I always have to manage expectations with artists as well. Is they have to know, just like with the, um, a label, like a, a recording agreement, it takes time. It shouldn't yeah. take forever, but it does take time to establish some of these relationships to, um, get the catalog out to people. And then sometimes people just, people just have to have a need and a want for the song. Yeah, so if for Afrobeat, not, for example, true. everybody may not be looking for an Afrobeat song, but then there may be two networks or two projects that just want Afrobeat. So that's the perfect project, but it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight, you know? So just, that's why these contracts are for, you know, a few years because it takes time to establish and build and get to know the songwriters catalog mm -hmm. and pitch them for applicable, you know, projects and licensing opportunities. Awesome. So obviously I, I think that's a great point. So really the artists, everybody is involved should really have a realistic expectation of what 
on how long that process would actually take. So it obviously yeah. doesn't happen overnight. But I guess, like you said, that's where your agreements come in, where you yeah. can, as long as you both agree that, okay, you know what, within this space of time, it'd be two, three, four, five, whatever amount of years, yes. I, I, I expect you to have done this and this and this, or if they tell you they're going to be able to do A, B, and C within this time frame, if you can deliver on... You know what I mean? On what you say you're going to do, the exit clause is I am able to take back my publishing, own back 100% of it, and go somewhere else. Which yes. is, but obviously, you have to. I think a lot of people, when they have agreements uh, put in front of them, people get very um, like, oh, if I don't sign it or I don't agree to whatever it is that I've been put to me, then mm-hmm. I can be jeopardizing the deal. But it's your agreement. For the, for the fact that the individual, the entity, or the business wants to sign an agreement with you, that means they see value in you. So you yeah. obviously it's up to you to the only kind of good agreements are agreements that benefit both parties. If you if an agreement is given to you and you don't see the benefit to you, then don't sign it. It's not yes. you're not a tree. You can literally walk away and say, I don't want to do business in, in on, on, on that field. I think I had something similar a couple of years ago where I could have had like oh there's a song we put out that was number one in Africa that could have really been I exploded, could have really exploded worldwide. And um, the company I wanted to take on the publishing, wanted to own not only the publishing of that song, but the publishing that my artists would do, any songs that my artists did for the next five or six years, for 10 years. And I was like, no, that doesn't make sense. Because the material itself, we had recorded it, we had written it, we had done a whole bunch of stuff. And by the time frame, that they wanted to own the content for and everything else that came, it didn't make sense to me. And I said, we couldn't sign it. Although I could see the, the, the advantageous nature of actually signing that agreement at the time, but on the long term, I knew it never would have benefited my artists. And I explained it to my artists that I, I funny enough, I didn't just, I, although I understand the same level of contracts, but I still took yeah. it to an entertainment lawyer friend of mine, which I paid her. That, okay, mm-hmm. what does this actually mean? And she spelt it out to me in black and white. If you sign this agreement, this means they will own everything that your artist does for the yeah. next 10 or 20 years. Wow. I don't think it is fair. I don't think it is right. And I had to listen to her. Yeah, funny enough, I think you actually know the person. You know Malika. I yeah. actually looked at the mm-hmm. agreement for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, no, I don't think it's... And I think at times, if you don't know what is right or what is fair... That's why you have them as attorney. That's why you have entertainment lawyers like yourself that are seasoned, that they've seen this kind of agreements over and over again. And they have a pretty good understanding of what you should be expecting, what you should be kind of letting go, and what you should be getting back. And she just told, honestly told me, I don't think it's a good, because um, the advice they were giving me was literally nothing. It didn't even cover even the production of the track itself. But what they wanted to own, and the track had already gone ahead and done number one in Africa. Yes. And just and she just said no. It's it's not fair. Do what you can by yourself, or let somebody else come and give you a, a better deal. Exactly. You know, I'm glad we, we kind of did that because right now anything he had written between over the next couple of years would have been owned by somebody else, and there was no um, key performance indicators that they were giving me that they would what they were going to be able to do. They just wanted okay, just sign an agreement and be happy with it. So which is like I'm I'm glad you said that. And the term, you guys obviously I think people take. The, um, the job and the role that you guys do for granted, no, knowing that obviously they're paying for your expertise, for your experience, for your knowledge, and also for it's a lot of work because if something doesn't go right and you're there to protect, and yes. by not having that protection, you could lose out 
on a lot of money on the exactly. back end. You know, yeah. so why go? Why take that chance? Because it's a business. If you're gonna have a business, which you, the artist, and your material is, you know, part of your property, then it's only right to get it protected properly. Not yeah. using a, a like how am I gonna put? You know, you have those kind of little padlocks that you can just take a spoon and you mm-hmm. pop it, and the padlock pops. Or you can mm-hmm. have a proper chain with a with the whole like if anybody tries to steal anything from you, all the bells and alarm go off and if you know you'll you will get protected properly i think that is obviously having an entertainment lawyer like you on the back end that is that is protection that you kind of give and you bring you know um, i know you're kind of tired but is there anything else you think we should be um artists should be aware about producers should be aware about um from a large perspective that you've seen especially within like the our industry the alphabet industry the african and nigerian industry that um they should be uh, cautious of and they've not really taken on board? Yes, I would say um, what you addressed, Steve, um, publishing. Publishing is, uh, you know, the real revenue generator in music. So don't be so willing to give that up and understand that that is a revenue stream, um, especially throughout the continent of of, um, Africa that we're trying to educate and empower folks to say, okay, that creates the real generational wealth. And then read all of your agreements. Retain somebody as a better investment be proactive and not reactive make sure if there's an agreement placed in front of you that you have an attorney look over it some people say i don't have the money but like you said earlier you would rather spend a little money on the front end and know that you're protected than lose a lot of money on the back end because you signed something that you did not know so i would say literally you covered a lot of great topics but that's really it make sure you read and understand everything you're signing and then also to know um publishing is you know um, a key revenue generator in, in music and make sure that you keep and own as much of your publishing be signed to a publisher that you all have, you know, you manage expectations for each other and know that, you know, that person's in it with you. And it takes time. So as an artist, knowing that it takes time, but that that person is willing to grow with you and help exploit your catalog. Awesome. Because obviously that is your residual income, isn't it? That's when, when, you can't, when you can't sing no more, when you can't jump on stage no more, when you're not as famous anymore but that is mm-hmm. something that you in your old age or you can even pass on to your kids that will keep Absolutely. on providing for you when the lights and uh, ha, have dimmed on you so so to speak um oh before i avoid before i, before I forget could you tell could you tell people what are the four different what are the different kind of royalties that an artist should be receiving that they should be looking at you don't have to explain um, it, but you could just quickly break it down. Cause yeah, mechanical. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so it's mechanical royalties. Okay. Um, that's actually when a song is streaming or distributed. Okay. Um, this performance rights royalties, which in the United States, the three performance rights organizations are ASCAP, CSAC, and BMI. And then um, there is also um, sync licensing and ro- those royalties from you know when a song is placed in a TV show or movies or game or anything else. And then um, something, it's a bit archaic, but it it was a a huge revenue stream, but called print royalties. When um, people used to compose songs and there'll be sheet music and they would actually write out the music, then that's a royalty stream as well. Okay. Oh, you know what? Funny enough, you see what you just said to me, you know, that could actually be a new, not even a new, I guess, you know, as you said, it's been around for a while, but because a lot of people haven't done it for a long time, but that could actually be a different additional stream where you can create sheet music for your music. 
And yeah. I, oh, awesome. So you heard performance royalties, um, mechanical royalties, um, sync royalties, and the prints, right? Yes, print royalties. Oh, mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so very much. Right, Amy, could you please, I mean, could you let the audience know where could they kind of catch you online? Where could they follow you? Do you have a blog, um, your social yeah. media handles? Um, if you wanted to kind of hopefully retain you, um, just let them, just tell them, tell Amy to spotlight sent you. And she, she's, okay, yeah, absolutely. So where, where, where can they connect with you and, you know, um, try to possibly um, hire you and just, I know you also put out some great information on your social as well about kind of law and you guys can kind of connect with Amy and you guys, she puts out a lot of quality um, information out there that normally you would charge for. If you were going to spend an hour with Amy or even 10, 15 minutes, you'd be paying a buck of money. So right yeah. now, this is a couple of hundred worth, um, worth of um, dollars that you guys have, uh, have been able to kind of gotten for you guys that Amy has spent with us. So Amy, please can uh, let, let the audience know where they can kind of connect with you. Yes. Um, so on all my social media handle, it's at Amy O said so, and that's A-M-Y-S-O-S-A-I-D-S-O. So Amy O said so on, um, that's Instagram, that's, um, Twitter, and then Facebook would be, um, Amy Arefo PC, and that's A-M-Y, and the last name O-R-A-E-F is in Frank O, and that's um, Professional Corporation or PC. So Amy Arefo PC for Facebook, but all my handles are Amy o, at Amy O said so. Awesome. I'm, anyway, I'm going to put all the other handles on the show notes so people will be able to kind of connect you from there. But Amy, thank you so very much for taking your time out and um, spending time with us. Um, and you guys, you've heard it. Stay protected. Um, the first person that you do need, I mean, besides the manager, um, obviously, yeah. it's an entertainment lawyer. Every single agreement that you have, that you sign, let a lawyer go through it. And, oh, also, Amy, when somebody kind of contacts you, they don't, I mean, you obviously, you have a you have you have two different kind of fees. You have a retainership fee for like maybe like a year or a couple of months or mm-hmm. like a one-off where, okay, go through these different kind of contracts with me, right? Mm-hmm. So you have yes. different um, kind of payment different, plans, so to speak. At, different, at, also, different fee alternative arrangements because some people, it will be an hourly rate. So, so it's a case-by-case scenario. So when people contact my office, we'll be able to assess, you know, what the best. What is best. Um, right. There, mm-hmm. there you go. So it should make it uh, possible for you guys to kind of obviously um, – getting our services but thank you so very much for your time Amy and we'll catch you on the flip side and thank you so very much you have an awesome day you're welcome and thank you for having me Steve you have an awesome day you take care now take care bye I see the work on the talk to the blown I also know be local